You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Hey, Michael, how you doing? I'm great, Dan. How are you? I'm pretty good. How long have you been teaching now? Oh, God. Um, so I started long-term subbing in like 2009. Mm-hmm. And so really since then. Okay. And, you know, a big issue that comes up is making sure teachers stay in the field, right? Like, right. Um, yeah. How, how did you do that? How did you... Like, did you ever feel like the that teaching was too much or feel like you might go away from it? And how did you stay really engaged as a young teacher? So if you were a like a real first-year teacher, you got a mentor, which was cool because you actually got someone to speak to. I was a like I was a, a long-term sub, so I was in for a year, but I had no one. Hmm. Uh, they didn't, you know, give me anyone. So I started just jumping in teachers' classrooms after school. Just to talk to them, be like, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing. Or, oh my goodness, this happened today. And I, I called it gorilla, gorilla mentoring, which I was pretty <laughs> much saying, I need help. Help me. Yeah. And through that, I feel like I learned a lot about you know my future colleagues. And I figured out kind of which teachers that I would continue to go for advice and which I wouldn't. You're a pretty outgoing guy, though. And so... You pulled that off. You made your own mentoring happen. But that may not be a good ad hoc type system for everyone, huh? No, it seems like a terrible situation. <laughs> it really seems like I should have had someone right off the start. <laughs> now, I know, luckily, we actually have a, a really great uh, a person on today, uh, Destiny Warrior, to talk about this. Destiny, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. Destiny, and, we're thrilled to have you. And I'd like to say right off the bat, so... I am very lucky to know Destiny. We met in our master's program, right? Were we taking master's classes, Destiny? Yes, we were. And Destiny just always stands out in classes for her enthusiasm and just, you know, excited, kind of determined approach to education. So I've always kind of looked up to Destiny as someone who, you know, is doing great work in the field. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So, so tell us about your path. What have you been doing in education? Right. Well, um, my I have pretty much have a traditional path in education. I started out as a teacher. It's the only career I've ever had. Um, I graduated from Oklahoma State in elementary education. I went straight into teaching in the middle of the year. I was actually um, the third teacher to come in in December in a middle school classroom. So it was a hot mess. If you can wow. imagine, <laughs> if you can even imagine. Um, and I was very fortunate to have an excellent mentor teacher. And had I not had Nancy Bradley, I would not have made it um, at all. I can I can tell you I would have left the profession right then. <laughs> um, going through, so I've, I've always been a teacher, um, predominantly middle school social studies, but I've also taught elementary gifted and talented. And through my career, which is about 12 to 13 years at this point, um, I've worked in four different middle schools and three different elementary schools. So I've been around the block in three different <laughs> districts. So I can I can say that with the issue of teacher retention and mentoring is something that 
um, from the poorest urban school to suburban schools, it's, it's an issue um, and something that I am exploring more of as, as I go. Can you tell us a little bit more about kind of your experiences teaching? And I guess one thing I always thought about, I, I, I just always remember you kind of talking about your, your students and your classes as kind of part of your family, right? Um, oh, I, don't, I don't know why that stuck out to me, but I thought it was such an interesting approach to maybe building like a culture in your classroom. Can you tell us a little bit about the kind of teaching, you know, what motivated motivates you as a teacher? Oh, absolutely. I really, um, just from the African-American tradition, this whole concept of fictive kinship, you know, I tended to call students brother and sister. You know, it's, it's not uncommon for me to even refer to my college students now as sister. Um just as, as an extension and letting them know that I really do view them, you know, as, as part of the family. And so my approach um, in education throughout this whole thing is to really build relationships with students um, that affirm their dignity um, and that they, they really do have a place in the classroom and they have a role in the classroom and they have a lot to offer, um, offer me. And I have really been fortunate to know um, and understand that I've had so many students throughout the years who had an almost equal level in the classroom as far as facilitating learning as I did, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So it's just been a really wonderful, rich experience to be able to be a part of so many students' lives for, for this amount of time. I, I love the way you talk with your students. I wish that maybe some people would talk about me that way. <laughs> it, it makes me feel warm, you know? Oh, good. Yeah, it's... I always, I feel like uh, when you would talk about your classes um, back when we had class together, it always felt that way that that you regarded them as family um, for good and bad because when they got on your bad side, they heard about it, right? I always <laughs> oh, I remember. I, <laughs> I remember. You, well, I always appreciate that because I think when I trans transitioned into teaching, like the uh, being an authoritative figure, kind of in a class, like the person in charge of stuff, was kind of the hardest thing for me because I just didn't tell people what to do at any point in my life before that. And I remember you just seemed to have an ease about like telling kids, <laughs> you know, don't do that. Like, and <laughs> I remember that being like a transition for me. So I kind of looked up to you in that way, I always thought. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, I am really quick to tell the kids that it's time to get on the business. You know? <laughs> um, get on the business. Get on the business. And it's, it's really interesting when I think of the way that I talk to my students. A lot of it is just how my parents kind of talked to me, you know, mm -hmm. um, not that I want to be, you know, too maternalistic to them or, or anything like that. But we do have this relationship where, hey, we're in this family together. And so everyone's going to have to pull their weight to make this family work. You know, everyone's going to have to do their part. And every part is, is most definitely vital. Yeah, I feel like maybe that's that's part of it. My parents, who are great parents, um, I feel like we'd sit down and have conversations about everything. <laughs> they, Dan, do you want to do this? And they're like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. And uh so maybe that didn't translate as well to teaching that background. That's interesting. I think my parents would do a combination of both. Sometimes you knew yeah. when you had to do something. Mm -hmm. And then other times it was just like, I'm really suggesting hardly that you do this. <laughs> I'm sure this is actually all a great um, transition into the big topic we have today, which is mentoring for retention. So can you tell us a little bit about that idea? Absolutely. Well, a couple of years ago, I started um, working at the University of Oklahoma with pre-service teachers. Um, and through that process, just as they would go out and we would release them out into the profession, and then the phone calls came and the texts 
and um, just really struggling out in the schools and, and really thinking, how do we keep teachers in this profession? You know, Ingers Ingersoll and others have really um, discussed that we have a retention problem, not just a recruitment problem mm -hmm. in education, but how do we keep people in the profession? And um, as I started to look at that is how, what is our role? You know, people who are practitioners, instructional leaders, what is our role in really helping to slow this down? You know, um, some of the research has said that maybe up to 50% of our new teachers will quit in five years. And, and some studies even say one out of every 10 will quit in the first year. Um, so what do we do to help teachers stay in this profession and have longevity in this profession over time? I think it's such an important discussion because so many of the, the larger discussions of education often focus on teachers as if they're like these static, you know, you're either a good teacher or you're a bad teacher. And that happens on day one, like great teachers, you know, and that's what the movies are like, right? right. The Dead Poet Society. What's his name? Mr. Keating walks in or Dangerous Minds. Michelle Pfeiffer's character walks in and like day like one or two, they're like hit their permanent stride as a great teacher. Um, even if in those movies, they actually do almost no actual teaching of any sub content. Right. Um, the, that's a whole nother uh, podcast we need to have. But I think this idea of seeing teaching as, as retain retention and growth uh -huh. is so important for the field and gets almost no discussion in kind of our public dialogue about education. One of one of my favorite movies, my teacher movies, is actually Chalk, um, mm -hmm. and it's it seems to be somewhat improv, um, but it's about these three teachers and the struggles they go through, and you do see them developing, um, and it really is about whether or not these teachers are going to make it in the long run. I feel like that it does teaching in a way that those like big Hollywood movies don't do. It's Hi. called Chalk, and I highly recommend it. Excellent. So, so what else is key to kind of understanding uh, mentoring for retention? Okay. Yes. One thing that I that I've really been thinking of, especially when the college students will call and and they're crying and things are not going well. I mean, the classroom is blowing up, and I will, you know, the first thing I say, "Do you have a mentor?" Well, sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. Um, and so I was like, "Well, you've got to find somebody." Well, who are those somebodies? that they're finding, mm -hmm. you know, um, are these people who've been recruited to mentor? Is it one of those, Hey, we've got a new teacher. We need you. <laughs> Who are these people? Um, and do they, do they have any training in mentoring or are they just like, yeah, okay. They told me to come talk to you. So, you know, um, how does this actually work? And do the mentors themselves actually understand what mentoring is? Um, do they know the cost that it's, it's a significant investment in time? You know, that you really have to build a relationship with the person that you're mentoring so that you notice things. And I think we talk about that a lot with students. You know, um, you need to know our students and build a relationship. But I think it's the exact same thing with the person that you're trying to mentor. I think there's got to be some kind of relationship there first. Um, and I've had some really great experiences with it. And I've made some huge mistakes. Um, would it be okay to share some of that? Absolutely. Okay. That's what we want to hear. Okay. Um, one thing I, I think that has, has really come to me over time as I've had different student teachers and then students that I personally mentor is, is my help helpful? Um, I think a lot of times I will prescribe help based on a task like the classroom is, is falling apart, but, but maybe there's something else. And, and one experience that I had that really kind of emphasized the relational aspect of mentoring happened 
um, with a teacher next door. I was supposed to be mentoring her. She was a new teacher and I would just hear yelling and screaming and just all kinds of chaos all the time. And anytime I would try to approach her about the classroom, nothing. I mean, there was just an absolute wall or tears and I could not get through. And I, and I think it was because I came at her first about the classroom. There had been no relationship built at all. I never asked, you know, hey, how are you? <laughs> that conversation, you know, is everything okay? And so just kind of rethinking, you know, how can I how can I get to the classroom? I first had to realize I had to know the person, you know, where I can kind of read the tells. You know, when you know someone really well, you, you can tell by their body language that something's off, even if they're not saying that. There's a lot of reluctance with times um, with teachers to actually say I'm, I'm having a problem. This teacher was very clear she was having a problem. Um, but I finally just said, you know, let's go out to coffee. And after three coffees, <laughs> she finally cracked um, and told me, you know, that her dad was really sick. Um, unfortunately, she'd been at the hospital all this time. And so she wasn't planning the class. She would come to class. She was behind on the grading. And all of those things, had there been a relationship first, would not have gotten as bad as they were. Now, can I help the dad? No. Um, but could I have gotten in that classroom and helped her out and helped her plan and um, helped with grading? Absolutely. Absolutely, I could have done that. I just didn't know because there was no relationship and she wasn't going to tell me. And I feel like this is kind of a problem we have in, in lots of aspects of, of teacher growth, right? Um, even when people, teachers are being observed by, you know, administrators or supervisors, whether it's, it's in their pre as a pre-service teacher or as an in-service teacher, so often it's kind of, we just don't have a good system set up, right? Because it's like going in and saying, hey, fix this. And on some levels, I think for a teacher who pours their heart into their classroom, that's a difficult place to start oh, you know, with ju just fix this because you, you just don't have the background about everything else that has gone into what they're doing. And so building a relationship could allow for different types of, you know, growth and mentorship to come out. Is that kind of seem accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what have you invested in this person before mm -hmm. you go touch the, their classroom? You know, our classrooms are such a, a place of our identity and so when you go in there and you and you say well you know this isn't really working so well I mean you're really touching someone's identity I mean you're you're going straight to their heart and right. you really can't do that um, successfully I found if there's no relationship if you haven't said you know what I'm invested in you I'm for you I'm on your side my my whole job is to help you to be as successful as you can be and as you want to be, that's my job. I'm not running back to the administrator to, to tell on you. You know, I'm, I'm here for you. And I think so oftentimes the culture in education is a, is a gotcha system, mm -hmm. you know, instead of saying, you know, I've really got your back here. You know, I, I'm, I'm on your side, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And it's, it totally is a gotcha system because um, most people who come into your classroom are coming in for such a small sliver of mm -hmm. what you do as a teacher. And so it's like if something goes wrong in that time and you know, education so complicated too. You may have had a lesson that went absolutely perfect second hour and you teach that same lesson third hour and some things didn't go wrong. And then the, the person who came in only in third hour sees it as a flawed lesson. Well, right. there's just so many factors. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And do we ever come in, in the mentoring relationship from an from a place of strength, like, you know, you're really good at this. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we come in and try to troubleshoot all the problems, you know, oftentimes with no knowledge, no relationship of what the person needs. Um, mm -hmm. And we never say, you know, you're really great at this. This is a really a strength for you. And we never pull those things out. Um, and so I really think a lot of times the mentor relationship can get really negative <laughs> because if we're only coming in there to fix, we're never coming in to praise or, or to help or just be in it with somebody, then we struggle. And we know this with students. We talk about it all the time, but it never seems to translate to teachers. And it's almost like teachers aren't people, if that makes any sense. I don't know. No, that's that's interesting. I know for me, my, uh, my cooperating teacher when I was doing my student teaching, he one day said, all right, Milton, <laughs> try not to screw up too much. And in that, I mean, he was telling me that it was okay to screw up. I can absolutely make mistakes. And I kind of really dug his gruff personality. And eventually, I mean, he was, uh, we had a really great relationship, but he gave me the freedom to realize that I was going to screw up every now and then. Absolutely. And that if I didn't learn from it, then, and he was there to kind of guide me through it. And so, uh, it was a great relationship, um, because he gave me that freedom to fail. Absolutely. And, and students need that freedom too. And, you know, that, isn't that the type of culture we need to build in schools is one where learning isn't about getting the right answers. It's not about perfection. It's about process, right? So much of it is about the way we approach and do things, the skills we build over time. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. You, Destiny, I, you probably read some of the book Seven Arrows. It's a Native American <laughs> book um, that came out, I think, 1971. Um, that I know one of our one of the professors at, at OU uses, um, but one of the things I always love about it is it talks about um, in in some indigenous cultures how the importance of of understanding your beginning place, which is kind of like your talents and skills, um, right. the things that you're good at, but then shoring up like the areas where you you're not as strong and to become a more whole person. And I thought I've always thought that's a great analogy for teachers. Mm -hmm. Oh, I my mentor teacher. Was, was so fabulous. I mean, I was one of those people who was really gung-ho and, and naive. So I was jumping right in, and I was going to try everything, and she let me do that. And she just said, if you need me, I'm right here, you know? And I was like, well, okay, great. And, and she gave me that freedom just to kind of really explore and be myself. But I also knew that she was there to protect me. Um, a lot of times with new teachers, they can't push back against things that are happening because they're in fear for their jobs, you yeah. know? Uh, so sometimes, you know, when when things happen, you know, a mentor's job is, is kind of to come in and, and kind of shield a little bit, you know, say, hey, you know, you're not so healthy right now. So what can we do um, to to kind of to stay healthy, you know, and really protecting sometimes the mentor for themselves, mm -hmm. but then also from some of the other institutional failures that we see in education. So I had a, uh, a student teacher this year which is a very interesting, interesting process. And I know that at one meeting that we're having, he was giving me all these ideas and I was like, okay, well, I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> and then I started hearing myself and I realized that I was being horrible. That's not what I need to be doing. I need to, you know, be trying to help them not to say yes, but, but to say yes. And I need to, you know, help them grow their ideas rather than smacking them down. But it really, it made me really uh, feel terrible. Uh, until I recognized it, and then I feel like I was able to be a better mentor afterwards. 
And yes, just creating some space, you know, because we're all different. Um, our mentees aren't going to be carbon copies of us, you know. One one sweet thing, and in, in, in such a sweet and beautiful way, my my mentor teacher came in and she was observing me, and she goes, "You're doing a great job with this and this," and she goes, "But Destiny, I realize that you never write anything on the board. I'm such an auditory learner that that was just something that never occurred to me to do." Yeah. <laughs> so, so she just very gently said, "You know, why don't you um, maybe?" put write it down for the ones who who aren't necessarily following it and that was so sweet you know she noticed my strengths but she wasn't like okay gosh you're terrible because you've got no visuals um but she she just gently kind of guided me in that way and, and I really respected that and when it came to those out-of-the-box crazy ideas um she she protected me from administration she goes she would always say well let's let her try you know, and if it doesn't work, well, then it, it won't work. But let's give her that space. And that was very, um, very affirming to me as a teacher. So what advice can you give to classroom teachers? Uh, or how would schools and teachers mentor for retention? For retention, yes. I, I look at this in a couple of ways. Um, number one, the time length of mentoring. We usually do that the first year. And that's, that's great. But... Um, sometimes we need people to hold our hands a little bit longer than the first year. You know, what, what I found with my college students is, is oftentimes it's really the second year that's worse, you know, because the first year they had all of this help, you know, people were there for them. The second year there was nobody and they're on their own. Um, and just really kind of understanding that that mentor relationship might be a multi-year thing. Um, the students that I personally mentor myself, I make a three-year commitment to them. And I say, you know, I'm going to be in your life for three years, um, and we're going to do the teacher life together. Highs and lows, I'm on your side. Um, and if you need whatever you need, you know, what can I do, I'll do. And maybe... I don't have the answers, but at this point, I've been in the game long enough that I know a lot of people that somebody does. And so for them, sometimes maybe it's just making making a connection. Um, I had a sweet, um, dear student who said, um, Destiny, I just, I can't pay my bills. <laughs> and and that was such a stress that was affecting the classroom. And she was, well, can you help oh, yeah. me with, your, with my budget? And I was like, well, I can't really help you with your budget, but I do know somebody. And, and thankfully, I have a friend who... <laughs> happens to be a financial planner and for two hours he sat, sat with her and got her budget under control um, and, and helped her in that way so that she could continue in this profession because that outside thing that we would think is unrelated is very much related. And so finding her a resource to kind of help her get her finances under control was a, was a way to keep her in the classroom. And I would also um, add, I, I think the seeing teachers whole lives as part of who they are is so important. Um, but also add, you know, I think all teachers, no matter what year they're in, need always need to continue growing. I've been really intrigued lately by, you know, studying what some other countries have done, things like um, uh, lesson study, where, where teachers come in and study the types of lessons or stuff they do together. They watch each other teach, they spend time. But the problem in the U.S. is a lot of schools don't dedicate the type of time that requires for teachers to really mm -hmm. work together. So is there any other specific advice um, that you, ha you, you have for teachers or schools, Destiny? Oh, absolutely. I, I think another group, there's a couple of groups that, that I think that we neglect, and this is where the retention is after the third year. After we've gotten mm -hmm. into that third year, 
when we really see a drop off, the second drop off of teachers is in that year five, six, and seven. Mm. And what are we doing for them to help them grow? Because at this point, no one's looking at them or helping them anymore. Like all yeah. of our resources are going down to the to the new teachers. And and even in our classroom, sometimes we we tend to do that. We we focus on the low student, and we kind of forget these people who are kind of just chugging along. Um, and that's a mistake. Right. I mean, that's a mistake because at that point, I think from what I've noticed, um, being at year twelve and thirteen right now, is that at that at that time, people are saying, "Can I stay in this?" longer you know do I need to go out you know I've got the classroom thing should I go to counseling or administration and so at year five six and seven what are we doing to nurture those people you know because at this point and a lot of times in the schools they're the ones pulling a lot of the weight of the school we need them to stick around so how pour into them um, and as instructional leaders just noticing who those those people are um, I've been really intrigued by the work of um, Hackman um, about organizations, and he's got this great article where he's inter interviewing Coach K from Duke, and he says you've got to be the star's best friend, you know. And and who are the stars? And I mean, we can define that in a, in a couple of ways. But how I define the t the stars is who do you go to? Who do the administrators go to? Who's their teacher? You know, when when they need something, what teacher do they go to? And those are the people who um, I feel very strongly about pouring into because they're pulling weight for the whole school um, in a different way than a lot of teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the ones who are leading the charge and, and on the committees and, and maybe mentoring the teachers, but who's pouring into them? They're pouring out a lot into the school, but no one's giving them anything. And so if no one's pouring into them, where do we go from there? Where do they go? Um, and so I, I really think that's a critical thing is to look at those people who, who are the teachers going to, mm -hmm. who do administrators go to, and identifying those people and really starting to pour into them and ask the question of, you know, what do you want? What do you need? You know, all these professional developments, you've probably been to them three times. So what can I do? Where do you need to go? What to help you develop and to continue to grow? Because it seems like. At that point, there's a ceiling effect in teaching, if, if that makes sense. Then you can't go anywhere else. You're kind of You're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that, it's, it's a problem in education because, you, yeah, once you're that star teacher, you really can't go anywhere else. It's, it's, there's no role. And that's, I've seen some people talk about teacher leaders as being you know, within schools where it's kind of a different position where you do have more of a mentoring role but also kind of esteemed you know, position within the school that's actually recognized by the school and salary in other ways, too. Because it is recognized because the faculty come to that person. They mm -hmm. know their instructional leaders are. They've, they've bestowed that on them. Even if it's never been recognized by administration or they've never been given a title, the faculty knows. The administrators know because they're the, that's the person they're going and knocking on their door. Um, and so maybe um, I was really fortunate to have an administrator who called me in one day. I didn't even know what to do or what to say, but he called me in and he said, Destiny, what do you need? And I was oh, like, wow. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to say because it, it had never happened. And he goes, where do you see yourself going in education? How can I help you? And it was so um, beautiful and very sweet. Dr. Liefenfeld did that for me. And I was like, well, I'm interested in this. And he goes, well, let me make some calls. And so he um, very generously 
sent me. I know somebody. I'm going to give you some time today. I'm going to pay for this stuff. I want you to go over here and talk to this person so that you can grow. And I cannot tell you like how I'm, I, I will say that extended my teacher life for about three years <laughs> right there because it, it was recognizing that. And um, kind of, you know, relating it back to the classroom, I think we've all had those students who who are pulling that weight in the classroom. I've had them in every single class that I've ever had, a student who would, who would come to me and say, hey, Miss Warrior, you know, this student over here isn't getting it. Maybe you need to do this. Or, hey, Miss Warrior, you know, over here it's kind of going off the rails. And they were as much invested in that classroom as I was. Um, if I couldn't communicate something, they did it. And when it came down to it, this this happened, and I kind of got in trouble, but I'll, I'll take those, you know, I'll take that um, reprimand any day of the week. Um, and the student came to me, and he was having a bad day. I was brushing, grabbing my stuff, going off to some meeting. And he said, "Miss Warrior, I need you. And I stopped because I knew at that point he needed me. I was the only one who could give him what he needed. The class couldn't give to him the way he gave to them. They couldn't. They they didn't have the skills. He was the one pulling the class along. So when it came time to him needing somebody, that person had to be me. Um, and so whenever he said, Miss Warrior, can you please show up at my basketball game? Uh, yes, I'll, I'll be there because he was <laughs> one who was there for everyone else. And I think as instructional leaders who've been around as practitioners, when we look around and we look at the faculty taking full responsibility, who are those people that everyone else is going to and who's on their side? And I think that's how we mentor people for retention. Well, Destiny, I feel like you're giving us a lot to chew on. Awesome. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that it's been helpful. <laughs> thank you so much for thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. You know, so much of what you said is about relationships and so um and people needing things. If people need to find you, is there places online or other ways people could contact you if they have questions or, or want to kind of see any of the work or things that you've done? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter. Um, and I can send all of that to you. It's Miss Destiny L Warrior at Twitter. Okay. <laughs> um, it's not very original. Um, and you can always email me um, in the district. My school email is dwarrior at mid-dell.net. And you can always find me there. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks so much for joining today. It's a great conversation. And uh, we hope to continue the discussion online and in other spaces. Awesome. Thank you. And if you haven't already... Make sure to subscribe to Visions of Education on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you write us a five-star review, then we will read it on the air. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42ThinkDeep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast signing off.